Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening. Today is August the 22nd, 2015. Welcome to tonight's edition of Researcher 135's Community Call, Daily Talk with Rich Bernardo. I want you to imagine for a moment you are leaving on a long journey. You have left the city that you've been leaving, living in for a long time. You're on your way to a location where you, where you grew up. You have childhood memories of this location. You have with you uh, your family, your uh, young teenage son and your, your little girl who's seven years old. You're going on a long trip that's going to be from Texas all the way to Alaska. You're going to spend about a week traveling, stopping at different cities, staying at motels, uh, sightseeing. You're taking your time. It's, it's a slow, relaxed, meandering journey. Finally, uh, after about a week, uh, on August 14th, 1997, you arrive uh, in far northern British Columbia. This is a very, very remote area. The nearest town is 120 miles away. It's called Fort Nelson. That's also where the uh, nearest hospital and the nearest airport is. You've been driving along the, the Alcan, the Alaskan Canadian Highway, on your way to Anchorage. And you're now right at the near the Yukon border. And you come to uh, a park, a tourist attraction, uh, Liard Hot Springs, well-known for the hot springs, well-known for the... Uh, Swimming there that you can do, the relaxing in the hot springs, the hanging gardens, which is an area where a lot of plants uh, grow because of the tropical temperature created there near the uh, the pools, near the the hot springs. A lot of plants that are not found anywhere else, and uh, very rare plants. So a lot of a lot of people come there for a lot of reasons. And so we join a young lady who's left Paris, Texas, on her way to Anchorage. Her name is Patty McConnell. She has her young son, Kelly, with her, and her daughter, Kristen. And they've stopped here at the Liard Hot Springs. They get out and travel, do a little swimming, do a little walking around. And at a certain point, uh, Patty and Kelly have gone into the Hanging Gardens. Now, this is located between... The two pools, there's two pools at Liard Hot Springs. There's the uh, Alpha Pool and the Beta Pool. And the Hanging Gardens is in between. Uh, there's probably a mile or two distance between the two pools. So there's a, a boardwalk, a boardwalk that you uh, you walk between the pools. And this uh, boardwalk has an access to the Hanging Gardens, which is you veer off a little bit from the, the main boardwalk there to view the Hanging Gardens. Now, at this point in time, unbeknownst to them, is a black bear. Persons have seen it earlier in the day, swimming down the Liard River toward this park. It's emaciated. It's underweight. Uh, apparently, it's, it's starving. At a certain point, the bear sees Patty McConnell. Apparently, it sees her first. Kelly's not far from her, just a few feet away. It charges and attacks Patty, uh, dealing serious physical wounds. And at this point, I want to open the phone lines up. Uh, 
Hello, I see we have Northeast Texas on the line, and I see we have Illinois on the line. Northeast Texas, uh, hello. Good evening, Northeast Texas. Okay, while we wait for that caller, I'm going to go to Illinois. Hello, Illinois. Hi, Rich. Uh, Yes, it's a terrible, terrible story. You and I have discussed it before, but I don't think you had ever mentioned to me before that the bear had been sighted before the attack that people had seen it in the area. And I just wondered, you know, why why were the people there, the, the tourists, why were they not warned? Well, even more frightening than that is the rangers were not present at Liard Hot Springs that day either. And, oh, uh, a month or two after this tragedy occurred, which we'll get into the details of in just a moment, it turns out that uh, the bear had been identified as a bear that had been going to a dump uh to eat until about a month earlier when that dump had been closed down so the food source for this bear had been cut off which is why it was starving uh it does also turn out when they autopsied the bear that it had uh broken teeth so it was having difficulty eating at any rate and of course if you're familiar at all with black bears and with that area of canada by mid-August, uh, there's not much warm weather left. Uh, the Canadian winters are harsh and brutal and cold, and in a very, very short time, the bears uh, that live in that area will be going into hibernation. So the bear has a very short time to try to seek nourishment before it goes into uh, hibernation. And it was starving and had broken teeth, and those were contributing factors to the uh, to the tragedy. Northeast Texas, do you have a question or a comment? Cherry, do you have a question or a comment? Well, I was just kind of wondering, you know, it's just, I've I've watched a lot of programs, you know, on uh, wildlife up in Canada and places like that, and uh, most of the people up there, you know, they know about, you know, the wild animals and the bears and things like that, and any shows that I've ever seen up north, most people carry guns. And it just seems odd to me that, you know, when you and I have been discussing that, that even the ones that came to help her, uh, tragically, I think one of them, at least one of them died, uh, that no one had a gun in that area. But well, there, it was several minutes later, I think, that someone was able to get their hands on a gun. It's interesting that you mentioned that. As you know, Canadian gun laws prohibit uh, the possession of firearms in a national park like that. And in a a very interesting blog, a man named Jason Hayes uh, wrote a piece called Sometimes You Have to Fight Back. This was in 2007. And in reference to the the, uh, tourist you're talking about, whose name was Wayne Egabrotten, and he, by the way, was from Oklahoma. He just happened to be at the park that day, along with a lot of other people. There were a number of people there that day. We'll get into some of those people in, in a few minutes as well. This tourist had to run back along the wooden pathways to his car, uh, at least three-fourths of a mile, open his trunk, grab the firearm, and then run back to the scene of the attack before he could shoot the bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was, in fact, illegal. Uh, the Unfortunately, there was the possibility that, even though he saved many lives that day, that he would be charged for possession, discharge of a firearm mm-hmm. in a provincial park. Uh, had there been I did, a park I did not. I did not realize that it was uh, against the law to carry guns in a in a park area. I didn't yeah. realize that. Canada is quite different from uh, from the United States in, in in a lot of different regards, particularly in their their gun laws. Uh, had a park ranger been in the area, they would have had to do the same thing as as this man did. Uh, Jason Hayes goes on in his blog to say that. He worked as a British Columbian park ranger for two seasons and spent many days and evenings in the backcountry. During our initial training, he says, we were given a one- to two-hour training session on firearms, allowed to fire a shotgun once or twice, and then never saw the firearm again. We were given bear mace and nothing else to deal with bears in the backcountry. No, it's, just, it's, it's just a terrible, terrible situation that, really should never have happened. But I'm sure there's probably more attacks that happen like that that, you know, we aren't even aware of. 
and I just call the area up there up north. Yeah. Yeah, the, the far northern area of British Columbia. Far northern Canada, period, it's very sparsely populated. A lot of wilderness, a lot of distance between towns, between civilization. So was she familiar with the area at all? But did no. she say that she had grown up in, uh, in Anchorage, parts of Alaska, Canada? No. no, no, Anchorage, Alaska, north of Canada. She had never lived in Canada, to my knowledge, but, of course, you have to go through Canada on your way to Alaska. Uh, she was familiar with the Anchorage, Alaska area, having lived there as a child. Uh, to my knowledge, she was not uh, necessarily familiar with this remote part of uh, British Columbia, which is right below the northern Rockies. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, the man that, that tried to save her. Absolutely. That was a man named Ray Kitchen. He was from Fort Nelson, which is 120 miles away, and and he's a was a truck driver and was working in the area at the time and had his two daughters with him. He's stopping there to let them swim. He was 56 years old when he saw the the scene uh, after both Patty and Kelly had been attacked, and it was a very bloody scene. They were on the ground already with with the bear still attacking them. He began to beat the bear with, with a large stick. Well, of course, this distracted the bear off of Kelly, off the 13-year-old boy. And, of course, the bear began to viciously attack him at this point, And he, he received, sustained some severe injuries uh, at that point in time. Uh, and at this point, uh, Frank Stingham and Tony Dalk arrived. Tony Dalk was from Alberta. Uh, he was also a truck driver. Now, Frank Hedingham... Uh, a naturalist and was the manager of a, a lady uh, who was his colleague who was there with him that day also. Her name is Lynn Hancock. Frank Hedingham and Tony Dock began to beat the bear also, uh, kick it and pound it in, in an attempt to uh, save Ray Kitchen. Unfortunately, uh, the bear just became more violently ferocious and it, it virtually decapitated Ray Kitchen. It, it did a a terrible wound to his neck, uh, and his windpipe was visible, and, and there was just no coming back from that. And and by that point, uh, Ingrid Bailey, a uh, firefighter and paramedic from Felton, California, arrived on the scene. And she saw uh, the horror. She saw Ray Kitchen killed. She went over and began to... Uh, try to stop the bleeding on Patty, Patty McConnell, who, who by this point had gone unconscious. And there was an attempt to uh, bring her back to consciousness to resuscitate her. They also realized the uh, how badly injured Kelly was, too. So there was an effort made at that point to render first aid to him as well and to, to stop bleeding and to do what they could, you know, given the environment and, and the presence of the bear, which was still just a few feet away. Now, at this point, a young man named Ari Jan Vandervelden, who was with the Department of Geology and Geophysics at the University of Calgary, he was there with his friends doing a seismic project, and they'd been there for two or three days camping out. They heard the shouting and the noise, and they came upon the scene, and when they saw the bear, the bear saw them, and they began to run, obviously, from the bear. Well... Harry Vandervelden slipped and fell, and the bear just pounced right on him. Now, it got him uh, by the leg, and it began to chew on his leg, and it was sustaining. He was sustaining severe injuries to his leg. Uh, he was mauled and dragged. He managed to, to get to a uh, tree trunk or log and save his face and abdomen from from injury by wrapping his arms and face around there. Uh, he protected himself using the tree trunk or log, but, but the, the bear continued to attack his leg so badly that uh, his leg injuries required three leg operations, and he spent a three-week uh, hospital stay uh, recuperating uh, from from those injuries to his leg. Now, it was at this point uh, that the Oklahoman, Dwayne Egbroughton, uh, arrived on the scene and... Uh, ran back and got uh, the firearm and then chopped the bear three times. Uh, 
killing the bear and, and putting an end to the to the carnage. I know a, a man against a bear is just no match at all. I know a bear can just rip you to shreds. So many p- people think that you know they're just they're just so cute and everything. I, a lot of people that used to go up into certain parks like the Yellowstone and stuff like that years ago when they could you know from their cars they could feed the bears and things. And I don't believe that's allowed much anymore. But uh, yeah, it's just it's just a horrendous account. Well, they're incredibly strong. They're incredibly fast. They are incredibly agile. Uh, well, they just fact, be pure muscle. Just pure muscle. Absolutely. Uh, one of nature's fiercest uh, creatures. Andrew Whalen uh, on iDigital Times has made the remark, black bears are as ferocious and have killed as many people, if not more, than grizzlies. They're a serious contender. Uh, a man named McDonald pointed out black bears are black bears are killers, while the black bear is usually considered the less dangerous counterpart to the predatory grizzly Kodiak or polar bear. The body count isn't as disparate as most would imagine. In fact, black bears have proven exactly as deadly as the grizzly bear in recent years, with both claiming 22 victims since 2000. And why do you think that is? Because people seem to approach the black bears more, or they come in contact with them more? You know, that's a good question. Uh, in, in my research and study and reading on this, it does seem there is some indication and some evidence that the black bear population in northern British Columbia where this happened uh, are much more aggressive violent and ferocious toward humans than the ones further south. In other words, the ones we have here in the United States, don't underestimate them, of course, but, but they, don't, they don't seem to be as ferocious and aggressive as these up in northern British Columbia. So it may be a genetic thing going on there. This may be just a particularly vicious uh, strain of bear up there. Uh, they may all, all share genetic characteristics that make them more violent toward humans. And maybe they have a harsher environment there where it makes it diff- more difficult for them to eat. I think that's a very valid speculation. I, I would say that's probably very accurate. Kelly, the 13-year-old, of course, sustained injuries that were so bad that when they took him to uh, British Columbia Children's Hospital in Vancouver where he recuperated for three weeks... He required 100 centimeters of stitches. He had broken ribs. Uh, But one of the positive things that happened while he was recuperating, the actor Leslie Nielsen came and visited him. And I'm sure most everybody knows Leslie Nielsen from those uh, Naked Gun movies. And, of course, he was in Airplane, and he was the uh, captain of the ship in the Poseidon Adventure. Leslie Nielsen's uh, been in a lot of movies, and and most anybody... uh, is familiar with him, but he he came and visited Kelly there at the hospital, so I'm sure that must have been somewhat uh, uplifting, at least to have somebody come there, you know, and visit you like that. Well, since uh, since those attacks, have uh, have they done anything at that park to protect people that do stop there? Well, it was temporarily shut down for a little while right after the bear attack. Uh, it was remodeled and redone about a decade later, and I do not know the outcome of this. I would have to do further research, but there was a uh, they, their politics up there are a little bit different than ours. <laughs> they have something very similar to our Senate and Congress, but I think it's more of a parliament type arrangement. But there was a, one of the political representatives up there in Canada got up and made a speech uh, before their parliament or what have you and brought this out, brought the events of the bear attack out, and talked about how important it was to try to change Canadian laws to address that situation. You know, he explained, you know, the guy from Oklahoma had the gun and was able to take care of this, and we've got to do something about this. So hopefully, uh, in the time that's passed since this tragedy, there's been some changes in Canadian law. And again, that's an area I'll have to research, but definitely he brought attention to it at the time, and that that is an area that needed to be addressed, obviously. But you said at the time that there there was no uh, ranger, park ranger on duty at at all 
Not there at that park. Uh, apparently, the two rangers were quite some distance uh, down the Alcan. Uh, I'm not absolutely certain how far, but apparently miles away from the scene. I don't think they arrived there until well after it, it was all over. Uh, so, no, there was not a park ranger there at the the scene. Um, how many people exactly did, did die? Patty McConnell and Ray Kitchen. There were, there were two fatalities. And then the, the injuries, of course, included uh, Kelly, uh, the 13-year-old son, Patty's son, and then the, uh, the student, uh, Ari Van Gelden, uh, Vander Velden. And he was uh, injured in the leg. It could have been a lot worse had the uh, Oklahoman with the gun not taken care of the bear. It could have gotten considerably worse. There could have been more injuries, maybe even more deaths. I mean, it, it could have gone on. Yeah, I just kind of was curious. Was was this a, 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 a small park? It's pretty big. <clears throat> when you figure the distance alone <clears throat> down to the first pool, the alpha pool is a mile of walking down the boardwalk, and then you've got another mile or two between the alpha pool and the beta pool. You've got about a three-mile wilderness area there that, that's that got the two uh, hot springs in it, the two pools. So I, I would say like that a large area. It is. It's, it, it's a large wilderness area, and, and as I was uh, talking about earlier, quite remote, you know, so distant from a town, a hospital, an airport, uh, very remote. But uh, you said that there were numerous people that had come to uh, help uh, the one man that died. Was his name, was it Kitchen, Ray Kitchen? Ray Kitchen, yes. There yeah, were numerous was, people that came, did they came, did they come out unscathed or were they, were they mauled too? No, they came out unscathed, uh, fortunately. They threw rocks at the bear. They ministered, uh, uh, administered uh, first aid to uh, Patty and to Kelly. And fortunately, uh, they were not attacked by the bear, though it was right there. And at one point, it uh, put its its claw uh, up there on the boardwalk, reaching uh, for Kelly or, or Patty. And uh, Frank Eddingham again started kicking at it with his his boots as did Tony Dalk and, and drove the bear off. That's at about the, the same point that uh, Ari Jen Vandevelden showed up, and, and it ran after him when he slipped and fell. It diverted its attention over to him, you know, and began attacking his leg. So his, his arrival on the scene and, and then fleeing the scene sort of pulled the bear away from the group that were there administering first aid and uh, and so forth. That's just... It's just unbelievable to think, you know, in this day and age, something like that can can happen. Absolutely. Now, about a year later, uh, those who survived, you know, those involved in the uh, bear attack that, that fought the bear, received Carnegie Awards. You know, Kelly McConnell received the Carnegie Award, and he received the uh, Star of Honor. Uh and, of course, Ray Kitchen was awarded a Star of Honor as well, posthumously, uh, which his wife uh, collected. And Frank Kettingham, uh, who kicked the bear, and he was there with, with Lynn Hancock, uh, who wrote one of the best articles about this. You can look it up. It's, uh, Google it. And it's also on, on the website that I built, the, uh, the group page on Facebook, which is called the Yard Hot Springs Bear Attack. Uh, Lynn Hancock wrote the article Rogue Bear on the Rampage, which appeared in the uh, Canadian edition of Reader's Digest, but for whatever reason didn't appear in the American uh, print edition. But it's available online. You know, you can easily pull it up and read it. And it's it's the most accurate, most detailed account uh, that I've ever read of this event. But Frank Hedingham uh, died due to his heart condition uh, uh, less than a year later, and so he also received uh, the Star of Honor, a Canadian award. Uh, posthumously as well, and, and Lynn Hancock was there to receive it uh, on his behalf. The the boy that survived, how how did that affect him, and you know what did he end up doing with his life, or do you know? Yes, I do. First of all, about a year later in 1998, National Geographic took him back to the scene there at Liard Hot Springs, and 
he narrated uh, an account of what had occurred. Uh, and that's also uh, very good. I've seen it a couple times. I have it on, on video. It may be online, though I have not located it. I did find another video reenactment that was done in 2009, uh, a show called Human Prey Killer Bears. And Ke Kelly appears on that, too, uh, briefly, interspersed between the reenactment, uh, making comments on, on what had occurred that day. Uh, that's a very graphic and chilling reenactment of those events. Uh, and I have it there where anyone who comes to the Leard Hot Springs Bear Attack uh, group there on Facebook can uh, click that and watch it. Uh, and it's also available on YouTube. They can also find it. It's called Human Prey Killer Bears. And it's, uh, it's a very graphic reenactment of this tragedy. Well, I know uh, to change the subject just a little bit, uh, I remember reading an article in Reader's Digest, and it must have been 40 years ago because I was just a girl when I read it, but I'll never forget it. And it was somewhere, I want to say it was like Yellowstone or one of the parks like that, and uh -huh. there, was a grizzly, there was a grizzly bear attack. And you and I have discussed this before, and I think you even researched a little bit and could not find any evidence you know, of that attack. And it, this would have been probably back in the early 70s, and yeah. uh, it was just horrendous people i believe that they were you know they were camping and uh the grizzly bear came upon them and uh you know it, they were in their sleeping bags and i remember specifically that the bear somehow drug i believe it was a man all the way up into a tree you know trying to get him i guess you know as a meal and drug him uh -huh. all the way up in his sleeping bag into a tree and that was just a you know a horrendous horrendous account you know, every year, almost, there, there's someone badly killed or injured uh, in, in this way. So bear attacks are they're more rare than being struck by lightning, statistically, but they still happen in certain areas, and, and they still happen you know, more often than we'd like to, to think. Uh, at least every decade, just like the numbers that we talked about earlier, at least every decade, about 20 people are killed. Uh, at various locations. So I guess it's something, as long as there's a bear population around, that it's going to happen when humans encounter bears. Yeah. Yeah, they say it's one of the most dangerous things you can do is walk up on a mama bear with cubs. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of the uh, the fatalities that occur, uh, that's exactly what's going on. It's, it's the uh, instinct, the instinctive... Uh, kicking in uh, on the part of the mom, the mother bear, to protect her cubs. And so, obviously, they'll, they'll attack uh, with a level of ferocity that's uh, quite frightening in order to protect their, uh, their cubs. Now, there's another very interesting aspect to this, too. When, when you look at an event, sometimes it's interesting to, to look at events uh, in terms of the deeper philosophical questions that are raised by the bear attack. And that is in terms of, of how the different people came to be there that day, the particular mix of people that came there. I'm sure you're familiar with the people who didn't go to work at the Twin Towers on 9-11, this type of thing. Uh, Thornton Wilder, about a century ago, wrote a book called The Bridge of San Luis Rey. It's been made into a movie about three times. Excellent book. I read it several decades ago. And it has to do with how a, a group of people who arrived at an Incan rope bridge in Peru, which collapsed while they were crossing it, and they all died, of course. And he deals with the different circumstances that brought them to be there at that bridge. These people who didn't even know each other brought them to be there at that bridge that day. And the question of a chaotic universe in which random events occur versus the concept of the deterministic universe in which an ordered destiny or fate is at work is one of the questions that's raised by these type of, of things. Uh, viewed from the perspective of a random chance universe, what are the odds that a young woman who left Paris, Texas to move to Anchorage, Alaska would happen to stop at that precise location, Liard Hot Springs, at that particular time of day to become the victim of a bear attack. Questions arise along the lines of, what if she had come to the park an hour earlier? 
and left an hour earlier? Uh, you know, what if they'd arrived there the day before? Then would she have avoided what happened? In a meaningless, yeah. In a meaningless universe, what happened to her was random and without rhyme or reason. Now, viewed from a perspective of destiny, a deterministic universe, other elements come into play. Uh, there's the question of do people realize when their time is near? Patty had remarked several times to friends and family, I will never live to see 40. Well, she was 37 when the bear attack occurred. She had remarked just before leaving Paris, I want to get away from it all and start a new life. And there's a very strange, uh, which her, her daughter, Kristen, who's, who's now an adult, uh, wrote about in a, a topics forum thread. Apparently, and this was just joking, of course, when they were leaving Paris, at the very beginning of their trip, they stopped uh, at a guy's house. And Patty jokingly said, you know, when I get back up there to Alaska, I'm going to feed the bears. And the guy looked there and he said, girl, those bears will eat you up. And he was just joking, just making an offhanded remark. But it takes on a, a, a cryptic, uh, predictive type element when, when, you, when you view what happened. You know, in light of what happened, uh, a, a lot of different things take on a different meaning, you know, depending on one's point of view. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we ask ourselves that all the time, you know, in day-to-day living. You know, it's like, oh, darn, you know, maybe this wouldn't have happened if I had done that. Or, you know, that person would still be alive if, you know, I had done something different. And, you know, it is... Yeah. It's mind-boggling to think about. Absolutely it is. And there seems to be some indication that some people have some sort of an awareness subconsciously uh, if their death is imminent. Uh, it could be that some people have a subconscious awareness when their time is near. Those, those are deep questions that mankind has wrestled with for ages. I guess since the dawn of mankind, these are questions that... Uh, and as, as uh, one of our occasional guests here on the show, uh, psychologist uh, and the uh, founder of the Birth Order Group, Henry Baxley, he says he believes these questions are unanswerable. He thinks that certain questions are simply unanswerable. Uh, and I think that's a very interesting comment uh, coming from him. And I think it's definitely uh, something to think about something for all of us to sit down and think about, can this be answered or is it going to be an unsolved riddle or enigma? Some people seek answers in philosophy. Some seek answers in logic. Some, of course, seek answers in religion. Terry, what's what's your uh, opinion on that sort of thing? Do you think it's an unanswerable thing that we'll just never never know the answer to Yes, in my opinion, I, I believe that it is. It's like we, we can we can never know what's going to happen. It's like, you know, I can walk outside tomorrow. I'm 62 years old, and I've, I've come close to death a couple of times. But, you know, something, something always happened that prevented that. And so, you know, in my opinion, it's just, you know, living day to day, we don't know what's happened. I can go, what will happen, I can go walk out the door tomorrow and be hit by a bus. You know, or you know, I can be to live live to be eighty two years old. It just that's just it's all to me. It's all part of life. It's all part of life. Well, and getting back to uh, viewpoints and belief systems and philosophical positions, many would say that all of the narrow escapes that you've had when you came close to death but didn't that it wasn't your time or it, it wasn't meant to be, that there's a reason you didn't die at that time. That's part of, of some of the belief systems that some people have. Yes, yes. Uh, do you have any idea, you know, anything that they can do to prevent bear attacks? Well, first of all, I think uh, there need to be rangers uh, more stationed at these parks more often, obviously, and they need to be equipped with more than just bear spray. Uh, you know, if that means firearm of some kind, then Absolutely. I think the general tourist public, and of course there's signs that warn you about the bears. As you go into Liard Hot Springs, there's a big sign there warning you that there could be bears there. I think that general populace is not necessarily afraid enough 
of bears and maybe does not realize the danger they could be placing themselves in. I think to be vigilant, to be aware, I think that uh, there's things one can learn uh, to to avoid uh, putting oneself in the proximity uh, of a bear attack. I, I think definitely, probably there's safety in groups. There's safety probably not wandering off by yourself in a wilderness area like that. Uh, I would say that's probably good. It's probably good to carry some kind of uh, mace or, or, or bear spray, that type of thing. But it definitely would be a good idea to have a gun or a weapon, as you talked about. If you're going to be in a wilderness area like that, you need something to protect yourself because it can come out of the blue. It can happen suddenly. Uh, you may not see it coming. And if you have a firearm, you have a a distinct advantage in terms of being able to protect yourself or defend yourself uh, versus maybe just picking up a stick or using some type of bear spray. You're, you're much better off if you do have a firearm of some kind. Yes, because without a, any kind of a weapon, you don't stand, no one stands a chance against a bear, and especially a starving bear. That's correct. You had asked earlier I, about, go ahead. Say I, I have, unfortunately, I've never been to state parks and, and things like that, or Yellowstone, which I would love to see. But, uh, you know, if if I did go to those areas, I think that you know I would at least know enough of everything that I've heard through the years to be prepared for that. But as you said, you know, I think uh, you know an awful lot of the 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 people are not. They're not. Even in day-to-day living, a lot of people are not aware of the danger that they face every day, even just walking out the front door and getting in their car and getting on the road. Absolutely. I know one of the things in when you're visiting a remote uh, provincial park like that, uh, a wilderness area, you know, they talk about don't leave a lot of food in the car because the bears can smell that and they can tear an automobile open just like a sardine can, like we would open a sardine can. Those big and the amount of strength uh, that bears have, you know, they can just break right in and break right into a car, break right into a log cabin. Uh, they're, they're very difficult to uh, defend against in that type of uh, scenario because structures, uh, they're so strong they can just rip right through a structure, you know, whether it's metal or wood or whatever it is. And another thing I thought of, too, was, uh, you know, one of the main reasons that it happened is because the you know the bear was starving, and they had shut off its supply at the like what would you call it the dump uh, yeah. supply of food, and it's like you'd think that in times when they know and and they have to know the rangers have to know when the animals are starving, you know you think in during those times there's places that they can set up, you know. Um, a, I won't say a food tray, but a food area for them, you know, where they can come and, and eat every day to where the, you know, the animals aren't starving. Yeah, and, and, and make it sufficiently distant from where yes. people frequent yes. that there would not be proximity yeah. between the, the humans and the bears. Uh-huh. And, and you know, I know they have the capability that if there are numerous starving bears in the area, they can move those bears to another area. I know they have the capability of doing that. Yes, they do. You had asked earlier about Kelly McConnell, the young 13-year-old, and how his life went after that. Well, he was, uh, in fact, uh, adopted by a family who uh, took care of him after his mom's death, and he uh, grew up and went on to uh, college in uh, Stevens Point up in Wisconsin. And... uh, his wife uh, has a Facebook uh, now, you know, a personal page, and I understand they're living in Oklahoma and doing very well. And, uh, of course, now he was 13 at that time. That was in 1998. So if you do the math, you know, here we are 17 years later already. Uh, so he's 30 years old now, you know. Yeah. He must relive that probably every day. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's it's not something that would ever go away for anybody uh, who was there, anybody who witnessed it, anybody who uh, was in any way involved in it, I'm sure it's not something that uh, will ever go away. Now, when you first started talking, did you mention that uh, the mother, uh, didn't she didn't she mention that she had a daughter also? 
Yes. Yes, yes. Uh, the daughter was, was not present to see the attack. She was down at one of the pools with uh, some kids that she had met. Of course, she found oh, out soon enough, and, of course, it was traumatic for, you know, she saw her, her mother dead, and, and the, there was this uh, lodge across the uh, street, uh, a Liard Lodge. Well, I say across the street, it's about a mile across from the uh, Liard Hot Springs. And, in fact, uh, while they were waiting for the helicopter to arrive, which terrified Kelly to the uh, British Columbian uh, Children's Hospital in Vancouver, uh, while they were waiting for the helicopter to come from Fort Nelson, which it, it took it a little while to get there, uh, they had taken Patty, and she was deceased by this time, and, and later on a table inside this uh, lodge, uh, which we know is, is both a camping area and it has rooms and, and a, a restaurant and this type of thing, and uh, so the little girl did become aware at that time. She was only seven years old, but she became aware at that time of what, what had taken place. And I'm certain it, it must have traumatized her as well at that time. Uh, she, oh, of course, yes. is an adult sure. now. You know, she, She's 25 years old now, and I do not know uh, her whereabouts or, or what's going on in her life. Uh, but but I know it must have it must have severely traumatized her, you know, at seven years old. Well, of course it would. That'd just be just you know a horrendous thing. Uh, but then, and you said the girl was how old? She was seven at the time. Yes, seven years old at the time. Patty was only thirty-seven. Uh, the young woman who was killed. And her husband was not with her. Uh, she did not have a husband. Uh, Patty had I been uh, divorced for for a substantial uh, amount of time. And was was a single mom uh, to all intent and purposes, and was gonna, you know, start a new life uh, in Anchorage, where she had spent some of her uh, childhood time. Uh, she was going to settle in Anchorage, Alaska, and get a job and housing and what have you. And uh, this turn of events, of course, uh, occurred. Are there any accounts of bear attacks ever happening in Illinois that you've ever heard of, Cherry? Uh, no. Uh, the, I, I've looked it up, and uh, I believe it said that in something around the 1850s was about the last time that uh, bears had been seen in Illinois. And then it wasn't probably a week or two later that uh, someone came along and disputed that and said that one had just been sighted in, in northern Illinois, but I believe it had come across the border from another state. But so virtually the uh, the bears, or black bears, are you know, they've been gone here for, for many, many years. I understand there are still some in Wisconsin. Yeah, I'm sure there is. And uh, every now and then you'll hear news about one in New Jersey or, you know, various, various parts of the country. Uh, they even occur occasionally in Florida and in northeast Texas. Uh, they swim the Red River down. Usually it's an isolated bear. It's going to be one black bear by itself. But there was an account uh, the same year that uh, Patty McConnell was, was killed. Uh, a bear swam down the Red River from Oklahoma and came into northeast Texas. And, of course, it made front page because just a week or two earlier, Patty McConnell had been killed up in British Columbia. So it was a <laughs> a strange coincidence, to say the least. You know, it was a very, very strange thing. I don't think any harm came to the bear. I, I don't think they ever found it. It was sighted by a lot of people. It got into a, a man's garage and tore into uh, his garbage and what have you. And, uh, you know, it likely went right back up, swam right back up the Red River into Oklahoma, probably, where it came from. Now, I know that the, the uh, Panthers have been gone from uh, Illinois for years and years and years, too. And it was just, I, I think it was maybe last year that uh, one was killed in Illinois, and that probably was northern Illinois, too. And uh, But, you know, they had not been been seen here for years and years. And it just, to me, it seemed awfully cruel just to kill it. But yet, I guess it had been bothering, you know, uh, I believe farm animals or, you know, it was roaming around you know, a populated area, and so it was just killed. 
and from the pictures that I saw of it on Facebook, you know, it looked like it was in good health and everything. And to me, that was sad. I never could understand why, you know, it wasn't tranquilized and moved to another area. But, you know, sometimes I guess, you know, that stuff just happens. Yeah. And, you know, in certain parts of the country, there's there's problems uh, from time to time with mountain lions. And occasionally you'll hear uh, stories of, of that type of attack as well. Yeah, now yeah, I saw. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. I said I saw a mountain lion. Uh, probably would have been about forty years ago, uh, over in Paris, Illinois, uh, driving through the country at night, and I looked up over at a great big hillside, and in the uh, the light of the uh, as it came as I came up the road, and from the the, the lights of the car, I spotted it right up on the ridge, and uh, you know I. I saw it long enough to know exactly what it was, and but now, as far as I know, those have been gone, you know, from this area too. Now, I believe there's been some reports of them in in southern Illinois, but you know, it's, to this. me, it's just it's it's just terrible that, of course, you know, and we've encro we've encroached on their area, you know, and then moved all of these these animals out, you know, over a period of several hundred years, and to me, it's just sad that you know all of that wildlife for us is, you know, it's gone. Well, as mankind has settled and expanded into what was once wilderness areas and settled and built towns and cities and what have you, uh, of course, we encroach upon the natural habitats of all of these different animals. And so it, it obviously uh, changes the balance uh, of nature. The, uh, the original balance that they were used to changes and shifts. So they migrate or move, I guess, to other areas where food's more readily available. In some cases, uh, as you say, there just may not be any left or very, very few uh, in Illinois or in other areas because of human population. You know, as we move in, they move out uh, or, or they're killed, uh, what have you. So it's, it's a shift in the, in the balance of uh, whatever the dominant species in a, a given area is. Yeah, because that's always the the first thing that, you know, anytime anything like that is reported and people have seen it and, you know, someone's out hunting for it, the, the first thing people say is, oh, kill it, kill it, you know, let's kill it. You know, and to me, that's just, I don't know, to me, it's not right. It's just not right at all. But that's people's fear. It's their fear. Of course it is. And, and yet, by the same token, there's such a long tradition uh, in this country of, of hunting. Uh, you know, not just deer hunting, but, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> duck hunting, all, all sorts of different hunting. And, of course, bear hunting. You know, there's just different types of hunting that take place, and that's a popular sport, and a lot of people uh, seem to enjoy going out hunting animals. So, uh, apparently, that's something that's, uh, whether we like it or not, that's uh, a harsh reality. Uh, certain animals have even gone extinct. Uh, look at the buffalo. Buffalo are nearly extinct, uh, primarily slaughtered by gunfire. I understand during the, the late 1800s, there were even people that would shoot at them from trains. You know, they would be passing oh, by yeah. this huge uh, herd of buffaloes, and they'd just shoot at oh, them yeah. from a train, you know. Yeah, and so yeah I've seen where pictures where, you know, there was just buffalo hides were just piled 10 foot deep. Yeah. You know, they were just killed for, you know, their hides and you know, their left, the rest of the animal was just left to rot. Of course, that was you know, probably back when there were still Indians and stuff, but, you know, they depended on the buffalo for food and everything well, else, just about. As I understand it, historically, that's part of how the uh, Plains Indians were in part uh, overcome, defeated, whatever terminology you want to use, by the white settlers by American white settlers coming in because of the gradual extermination of the buffalo. And since their culture was built on that, you know, the food, the, the meat, the, the fur, so many of the, the things that were such a an important part of the Plains Indians culture surrounded uh, or was based upon uh, the buffalo. And so as the buffaloes began to disappear, it impacted them. And it kind of makes you wonder if, if a lot of that you know, what we were talking about that, you know, people shot them by probably the hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands from trains. You kind uh -huh. of wonder if, if the government was not involved in that, 
as a you know a, a reason to push them into reservations. Yeah, because even if there's not direct approval of something, there can be tacit approval, and and by that I mean the government can be aware that something's going on and kind of turn their head the other way because they realize the repercussions or the outcome of uh, a certain set of events will go in a certain direction, and maybe that's the direction they want, so they just allow it to happen. In other words, certain things are just allowed to happen sometimes. I think there's a, well, veering off into a, to a completely different subject, Pearl Harbor, many believe, was allowed to occur, that there was intelligence prior to the attack on Pearl Harbor that our government, or at least parts of it, knew that the Japanese were going to strike. So I believe definitely, even on the level of uh, the buffaloes being slaughtered, that sometimes things are just allowed to happen because they serve uh, an ulterior purpose. Uh, oh, yeah, and I'm be... sure it's still happening today in different oh, no. areas with our government, I'm sure. Oh, I think so, too. I think so, too. Well, we only have about 10 minutes left. Uh, are there any final comments that you would like to make or final uh, questions uh, concerning uh, this event or even concerning uh, bear attacks in general? Well, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head, but uh, uh, no, I can't. I really can't think of anything to ask right now. Well, I think uh, uh, we've covered an awful lot of ground. I think you've asked some very, very good questions, and of course, I appreciate you calling in, and uh, you know you're welcome to call in on on any and all future shows too. Next week, my guest is going to be uh, Becky Marie Glacken Butchko, and she will be dealing with a somewhat controversial uh, uh, erotic uh, something called Pandora. And I don't want to give away too much right now. You know, let's leave suspense for the listeners. Uh, there is a a book or two involved, but there's also a a process or a method that's involved in in the Pandora thing too. And I I will leave the surprise element for Becky to reveal to us next week when uh, when she comes on. That sounds good, Terry. I want to thank you uh, for calling in tonight, and listeners. I want to thank uh, anyone who's listening for listening. And remember, you can download these episodes; they are archived and recorded. Uh, so you can listen to them anytime. You can share them. And again, thank you, uh, all of you, for being listeners tonight on the Researcher 135's community call. And this is Rich Bernardo wishing everyone a good evening. Good night. Good night. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.